0: Morning. We are, uh, as Brian said, uh, two weeks into a series on the Holy Spirit, and um, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. And if you want to look at that, that's on page 965 in the blue Bible in front of you, if you don't have one. And while you're turning there, uh, we're going to see this morning the aspect of how the Holy Spirit is actually the one that brings real spiritual life to us. And um, I want to draw a little picture for you. It may be my house. It may not. Um, It's a warm day. It's a good summer day. I've cleared this with my children, by the way. Um, And the air conditioner is working well. Okay? And that's a good thing, right? Because it keeps the cold air in and the hot air out. And as I walk by the door, the door is open. And I hear myself saying this thought. I've said, close the door. How come the door's not closed? I said, close the door. And I, and I find myself kind of saying it like now out loud, like repeatedly. Hey, how come the close, Who? Where's close the door? How come? And in my mind, I'm thinking this. I've said it. How come that doesn't make it happen? And the funny thing is, five minutes later, I turn around and I hear a kid's voice say, Hey, why is the door open? And I realize I'm the one that left the door open. You know how a bare command doesn't actually enable you to do something? Let let me draw it a little closer. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone close to you? Spouse, husband, wife, significant other, brother, sister, friend, roommate? And the conversation takes a a southerly trajectory, goes off in a bad direction. And you're actually the reason for it, like you're the one who dropped the verbal mean bomb into the conversation. And you're kind of hoping that they don't notice it, but their eyebrow goes up and you recognize uh, they have noticed it. And what you're hoping next is they just let it go, but they don't. And their response is something along those lines. It's not these words. It's more like, wow, you're kind of mean. You should be nicer. And in your heart of hearts, like the internal of your being, you resonate with that. You're like, oh, yeah, that really was. I should be nicer. But actually what comes out after that is not nicest, but maybe the opposite. That maybe in light of the command like, hey, you should be nicer. Instead what comes out is, is you like take the kindling of meanness and throw it on the fire of unkindness and create this conflagration like you turn it up a notch. Maybe that's a little traumatic. Maybe it wasn't that like you turn it up, that outwardly you're a little nicer, but inwardly in your heart there's that really niceness at all. There's actually kind of hostility and bitterness. Feel that tension that a command does not actually enable you or establish a relationship to be right and do right? Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is going to give us the solution to the fact that relationships are not established on a bare command. They need something else to empower them. And he says it's the Holy Spirit. That's actually what empowers and establishes good and right relationship. Now, we have to do a little bit of of housekeeping before we actually read the text again because this because we're jumping into the middle of a conversation, you know how if you walk up on somebody talking and they're like, and then she ate him, and you're like, what? What? Wait, hold on. What were they talking? What? What were they talking about? Right. So we got to do a little bit of the. Hey, what are we talking about here? So Paul, in the middle of chapter three, is already into a discussion with his hearers about his ministry and whether or not he is a real apostle. But because there's question as to whether or not he's actually an authentic person to listen to. And in those days, people sent letters of recommendation or reference saying, hey, this guy's legitimate. You should listen to him. And you're going to hear Paul step in at the beginning of this chapter into this discussion saying, I'm not sending, I don't have those letters. I have a better letter. I have the letter of your life that has been written on by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so one, there's that. Secondly, there is a discussion going on between Paul and these false apostles that Paul is drawing out to his hearers. And he is actually saying not just that he is a real person to listen to, that his message is actually the life-giving message of the gospel, and these other people's message is actually a false message. So you have to step in that. And the reason why I say that is because he, in this chapter that we're going to read, is drawing on an Old Testament image to draw a comparison. He is going to, you're going to hear Paul use... The background contents of an example, the the life and ministry of Moses from chapters 32 and 34 of Exodus. That is the whole background for how he's going to compare his ministry to the ministry of Moses. And ultimately to the false ministry of apostles that call themselves that but aren't. Now, you may have had your quiet time in Exodus 32 through 44 recently. I have not. Or you may have never read it and that's fine. I need to give you just a little bit of the background of the event. So this is what you're going to hear Paul talk about when he compares his ministry. In the Exodus event that Paul references, in chapter 20 of that book, God gives the commandments to his people, and Moses gives the commandments to the people, and they say, with earnestness, we'll obey. But because of the stubbornness of their heart, because of the brokenness of the heart, because of their hard-heartedness, they break that law, and they build the golden calf. And Moses, upon coming down from the mountain, when he sees it in his anger, throws the stone tablets down that God wrote the commandments on. And according to God's command, Moses calls the Levites to him and says that because of the sin of the people, they are to go through the camp and murder father, brother, child, now. If you're here this morning and you don't know where you stand on Jesus, the question of familial genocide may cause you to say, I knew I didn't believe any of this Bible stuff. And I want you, please, to ask those questions, but hold on. Paul is using the issue of God's just judgment, again, unrighteousness, to make a point about his ministry. Moses then goes back up the mountain, takes new tablets... And God meets with him face to face. And when he meets with him face to face, Moses' appearance shines with the glory, the weightiness, the substance of having been with the Lord. And God writes the commandments again on new tablets and Moses takes it down. And when he comes down, the people are afraid. And Moses puts a veil over his face so that the people can't see His face because of his glory. Now, that is all the background that Paul is going to use for his argument to tell you that the bare commandments cannot establish your relationship with God, that you need something better. You need his spirit. Okay, this is God's word in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. "...who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory?" For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless His Word in our time. Father, grant us Your Spirit that we might have life and freedom and enabled power and intimacy and goodness we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Paul's point, bare commandment will not establish a relationship with God. The Spirit of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to make you alive, enabled, empowered, connected, restored. And Paul is going to show this in two ways. And I need you to hear this. One is, I want you to see the way in which the law kills, and secondly, the way in which the Spirit gives life. And I'm going to use, because Paul uses the language of these things. He uses Old Covenant, the ministry of Moses, letters on stone, the law interchangeably. And he kind of uses the language of the ministry of the Spirit, or the work of Christ, or the New Covenant as the same thing. Okay, So, the way in which the law or the letter kills commandments in and of themselves cannot enable you or empower you to actually follow them. If you look, Paul says that the ministry of Moses, the ministry that was written on letters of stone, the Ten Commandments, had glory because they were the very law of God, right? The perfect commandments of God, without flaw, without error, the greatest moral code that can ever be a reflection of the very kindness, goodness, character, holiness, perfection of God. That that law, that beautiful law that was given to Moses and made his face shine when he met with him, that cannot by itself enable you to keep it. The only thing that law can do is speak a word against you. Okay? That the commandment, that the letter, that the ministry of the letters that were written on stone Can only speak a word against you and kill. Like God's justice fell upon the people in Exodus 32 and 33, 34. That same judgment, if we are trying to establish our relationship with God simply by our obedience, will fall on us because no one can keep that law. No one. There's nothing wrong with the law. Right, the problem isn't the law of Moses. The problem is the heart. Okay, that in its fallen condition it is not able to do that very thing. It only kills, it only condemns, it only speaks a word that we have not kept that thing. And it was that way in the time of Moses, right? That's why he says something as good as his law and the ministry of Moses, which was temporary, could not enable the people's hearts to follow. And if it was that way in the time of Moses, it was that way in Paul's time. Which is why he says in 12 through 15, when the false prophets try to actually establish people's relationship with God by only you must do this to stay in God's favor. That's how you do it. It didn't work. That like Moses had a veil over his face and people couldn't see the glory, when the law is put on the hearts of people as the way by which you will establish your rightness with God, a veil is over their face too. They cannot see it. They can't be enabled. They only have the voice of justice on them because they don't keep it. And if it was that way in the time of Moses under his ministry, which was glorious... And it was that time in the false prophets that Paul is trying to compare his ministry to. It's that way now. The interesting thing is that the false prophets were actually saying in the name of Christianity. They were speaking as a Christian minister in a sense. And they, Paul is saying they were false. That they were trying to say that the way you really establish your way to God is by being good on your own. And that is a fearful thing. Because it may be that you're here and you have either grown up in a church or you have been around a ministry that sprinkles the language of grace or Jesus around it. But the thing that you have only felt or been told is that really, you better keep it together and you better do right because that is the only way that God will have favor on you. And that will only lead to judgment. Because though you may have tried hard, you are still, before the law of God, guilty. And I will say, it actually makes me wonder about the aroma of my own home. That whether or not we speak of grace, but we labor under shame or guilt. Because Paul says that in the Old Covenant... That is never a way because of the inability and the sinful brokenness of the heart of people. It leaves you broken. Now, you may be here this morning and think, all this religion and judgment stuff, that's the very reason I don't believe in it. And I'm glad you're here. I really am. Because it's a strange thing in some ways if that is a new concept to you. But I will say, let me tell you, everybody is religious. And everybody actually lives by some rule or standard or law. It may be look it may be that is actually kind of part of what religion is right having rules and standards by which people are judged and not judged and there's a community around that rule and a whole way in which that rule or law speaks shame or comparison and look you may be uh, maybe your law or rule of life is the is the quote unquote religion of crossfit and healthy eating And look, I like CrossFit. The beauty about CrossFit is you go to a CrossFit gym, and their whole kind of mantra is, hey man, we don't care where you are, we're just glad you're here. It really is this good family. But y'all, there is a CrossFit competition to name the Crossfittiest person on the planet. And you are judged by that rule and that law. And it may be that we're a welcoming bunch, but I've been to CrossFit. I know who I finished before the circuit on, and who was behind me, and I didn't say it out loud, but I'm glad to be in front of the dude I'm in front of. And if it's not that, there is that occasional Twinkie that you hide in the trash underneath the lettuce that you want people to believe you ate that speaks the word of shame to your healthy eating religion. And it either judges you or you judge other people by it. Look, if it's not that, you know, maybe your rule and law is the one of originality. That you love to be the trendiest. That you love to be on the leading end. That you love to be there before people in this city. And what, you know, you were rodeo goat before rodeo goat was cool. Okay? But if you're ever not the first one to it, Is there a voice that speaks disappointment and shame to you that somebody else kind of got the cool anthropology thing before you could ever get it? And that reality that everybody has a rule, everybody has a law that they follow speaks to the fact that you are actually God's creation made in his world. And our laws are actually not grandiose enough to speak the truth because we all stand before the law of God condemned. And that law itself does not empower you. It doesn't have the ability. Okay? But thankfully, there is a better way. See, the false prophets and false religion always teaches that what you do is you get to God and you get His kindness by being good enough or this enough or that enough. And it never, ever works. It is slavery and bondage and condemnation only. But Paul says in another book that this was never the intention of the law of God in the first place. That the law has always been given and intended to be a tutor. Something that would lead you to something better. That is to Christ. Which is why right? we read Ezekiel as as the assurance of pardon this morning. That God from of old, from past, always promised that there would be a better way, that there would be a better covenant, that there would be a new covenant where God would take out this heart that was unable and of stone and rebellious and put in a heart of flesh, a good heart, a kind heart, an enabled heart, a forgiven heart, an empowered heart that would be able to love him and follow his ways. And that is what the ministry of the Spirit is. So if the law in the letter only kills, then we need to see with joy and hope and confidence the way in which the Spirit gives life. Which, by the way, is why if you were here last week, Darwin said it was essential that Jesus ascend into heaven and go away. Like we might think it would have been better if Jesus had stayed in his body. He said, unless I go away... The Spirit won't come to you. So He ascends into glory and is not here presently in body so that He can send the one thing that will actually give life and enabling of His work to you, His Spirit. Okay. So the way in which the Spirit gives life. And I'm going to rapid fire you. That Paul in this says, it won't take us long though, that the Holy Spirit, when one turns to Christ and the veil is removed from your heart, That the Spirit gives life. And I'm going to say, you heard Paul and the Word of God say, it gives a vital life, it gives a righteous life, it gives an intimate life, it gives a permanent life, it gives an empowered life. And I'll be quick. That the Spirit gives life. That when you turn to Christ and turn away from self-reliance on a law you cannot keep, Through the ministry and life and death of Jesus, the Spirit actually puts in you a new spiritual life. You are brought to know and not just cringe against God and His law, but you are actually come to life to see it and know it and have it live in you and be really spiritually alive. But it's not just a vitality, which is amazing He says that the old ministry of Moses was a ministry of condemnation and that the ministry of false apostles is a ministry of condemnation, but that the ministry that comes through the gospel of God's grace to you in and through Jesus is a ministry of righteousness such that though before the law speaks a word against you, that though this morning you come in here as those Who have said unkind things to your husband or your wife or your roommate or your sister or your brother. If you have turned to Jesus. The penalty that is due that has been removed. And the life and sacrifice that Jesus has won for you has been given to you. The word that God speaks to you now because of the work of Jesus. And the spirit in you is a word of peace. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And what the law requires that you be righteous. Jesus has actually won for you. And that through the Spirit, the very righteousness of Jesus becomes yours. That the word that God has for you now this morning, if you have turned to him, is a good word of benediction and forgiveness and kindness. It's a forgiven life. It is a righteous life. It's an intimate life. Paul said that Moses went up on the mountain and met with God and his face shone. And if you read further down when he talks about what happens, he says, We all, when we turn to Christ, listen, with unveiled haste, beholding the glory of God, that when you turn to Christ, you have come into an intimate relationship with a heavenly Father who loves you. That the work of the Spirit is that you are now brought into the place where God's love and kindness and fatherly care is poured out upon you. It is an intimate life. It is an empowered life. Because he says that we Beholding the glory of God, ourselves are being transformed from glory to glory into the very image of God, where before under the old covenant, there was no power to actually obey now through the spirit of God in the gospel of the work of Christ. You have been given a new power, a vital, spiritual, enabled power so that you do not live in order to get God's love because you never could, but now the power of the love of God living in you actually enables you to do that which you couldn't do before. And it's a permanent life. He says, back in 11, what was being brought to an end came with glory. How much more will what is permanent have glory? And that if you have come to Christ, and if you are in Christ, then you are being transformed from glory to glory without end, because the love that God gives to you in the new covenant of His Spirit is forever." No man-made religion that says that you are good by and of yourself can ever get you that goodness and comfort. But the true gospel of the God who has made the world and created it and has made you and holds you has given you a good and glorious and kind way. And I said it this morning at the earlier service and I will say it again. That last idea of the permanence of the new covenant is so good. The fact that God is at work in you and me, enabling us to do what we were unable to do of ourselves apart from His Spirit, is so good and so encouraging for a number of reasons, not the least of which is this. My guess is is that there are some of you who are here this morning who have seen your own inconsistency even in following Jesus, to wonder whether or not you really have the Spirit. And you have got to hear the encouragement of the Word of God that says this. When you, by His power and goodness, have come to Him, and He has loved you, you are alive. And you are forgiven. And you are righteous. And you are His by the power of His Spirit. And you are His forever. And you are enabled by His mercy to do what the law could never get you to do. Guys, if you're here this morning. And you are attempting to be good enough on your own. I beg of you. that that will never suffice but the lord jesus in his kindness holds out a better good way the new covenant of the blood of his son flee to jesus those of you this morning who know him and love him pray for the fullness of his spirit he gives it he gives it vitally he gives it freely He gives it with forgiveness. He gives it with his intimacy and love and kindness. And he gives it forever. Amen.